Welcome to De-Stress Your Business, the podcast where we show you how to get incredible results in your business without constant stress. I'm Alexis Kingsbury, a serial entrepreneur and founder at Air Manual. Today, we're joined by an extraordinary guest, Kevin Appleby. With an impressive finance and leadership career, Kevin has honed his expertise in helping businesses, large and small, navigating complex transitions and transformations. And as the co-host of the Grow CFO show and the Next 100 Days podcast and mentor to countless CFOs, Kevin's deep understanding of the pressures and challenges new leaders face is second to none. So in this episode, we're going to delve into the hurdles that new CFOs often encounter during their initial months. We'll discuss strategies for rapid skill enhancement and the guidance they need and common business challenges like cash flow issues. So if you're a new CFO or about to hire one and you want to set yourself up for success, then this episode is definitely for you. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin. So great to have you. Great to be here, Alexis. Been looking forward to doing this. Yeah, so let's talk a bit about your journey, perhaps walk us through some of your career highlights and particularly the pivotal moments that shaped your insights into new so new CFO's pressures. So a long time ago, longer than I care to remember, qualified as a chartered accountant. Didn't stay in practice very long, disappeared off into the chemical industry, spent 10 years there, became European business accountant of ICI, remember ICI, top yeah. of the FTSE 100 and don't exist anymore. I was European business accountant for their plastics business. Towards the end of that tenure, it got sold. And most of my job disappeared to the German purchaser of the company. So after doing a few internal consultancy type things in the new company, I realized I was actually a management consultant. So I went off and joined Coopers and Lybrand, which ended up in a 20 plus year consultancy career learning an awful lot about business transformation, business change. Normally, I would be the finance person on a project, going off, talking to the finance people in the client, trying to get the right information, often finding they didn't have the information I was looking for. And I ended up going into more of a teaching situation, teaching people how to do some of the things that we did on consulting assignments, teaching people how to find out certain bits of information about their business, which is great. Uh, Come COVID, I'm finishing off a consulting project with a client, also trying to take some training courses online. But consulting more or less dried up overnight because we all went into lockdown. And I met a chap called Dan Wells. Dan was trying to talk to a CFO, finance leader audience. So was I. And we decided it made sense rather than to compete against each other to work together. Nice. Grow CFO was born. And we've actually found working with largely a target audience in Grow CFO. Yes, it's all finance leaders, but we've got two particular groups. Group number one is a group of people who aren't yet the CFO and want to become one. Group number two is the group of people who have just become a CFO and have realized that it's way different to being head of finance. So we, one of the things that we've kind of specialized in as a result of all of that learning is really helping those people to transition into a leadership role, understand what the problems are, helping them to come to grips with them. Nice. Love that. And I think, you know, we've talked many times before and explored how 
certain parts of our careers have had some symmetry in terms of working with those finance teams and helping them transform what they're doing. Can you give us an example of how you've perhaps worked to transform particularly the work of the finance department of an organisation and the kind of impact of that? Probably the project I remember most is I'd actually just been made redundant by the last consultancy I worked for. We were public sector focused. Austerity came along, public sector stopped spending money, and it was virtually in our consultancy, well, the last person out of the door, please switch the lights off. Right. And I started looking around to say, well, am I looking for another consultancy job or am I going on my own? Mm. Kind of explored both avenues. That, well, essentially, I'll do whichever turns up first. Turned up first was a three-month contract with a major power generator in the UK. Mm -hmm. It's great when a three-month contract turns into a 21-month contract. Okay. <laughs> Often the case, but, I find. Uh, <laughs> what I was doing was sorting out the finance systems and team on their two coal-fired power stations. Right. This is back in 2012. Both of those coal power stations are now gone because of the changes in power generation but they had the ambition to be the last two stations standing and they pretty much achieved that but one of the problems is that why i went in and took that project on was that the finances on the station were out of control right and they just had a major alarm where they were saying oh back to head office oh we're on target we're on target we're on target we're gonna hit budget right up to pretty much Christmas Eve on the 31st of December year end. By the time they got to the 5th of January, they had blown the budget, the maintenance budget, by a seven-figure-plus sum. Oh, wow. Big enough to almost need a profit warning or certainly some serious messages back to the holding oh, wow. company. Yeah. Essentially, forecasting was broken. So my job was to go in and fix whatever was wrong. And there were lots and lots of things wrong. Some of the problems were in the finance team, some were in the maintenance team. And the biggest problem actually was a people problem, that finance mm -hmm. and maintenance just weren't talking to each other. Right. So the maintenance were doing stuff that finance didn't know about. <laughs> Forecasts were being put together on half knowledge. Yeah. So we needed to make some people, well, People changes, not in terms of personnel, but mm -hmm. people changes in terms of way people are interacting with each other. We needed some process changes to make sure the process changes worked. We needed some systems changes. So it was the classic people process systems trio of consulting things. Yeah. Oh, nice. Those three yeah. months of that three month contract just ended up being really fact finding. And it took right. the next 18 months to put the changes in place and make it all work. Fantastic. And so as a result, I, I can totally see how you've got a business there where something's completely sideswiped them and came out of nowhere. You were brought in to, to deal with that. Were, were you working with their CFO? Did their CFO come out of the business? Like what was, because uh, that must yeah. have been quite hard. But um, this is huge PLC with a yeah. foreign holding company. So with the CFO of the holding company is many steps removed. Mm but I'm dealing with some pretty senior finance people within mm. head office in the UK. Certainly that dealing with the main finance person on the power stations, 
So, yeah, and essentially trying to help him. But I was really working for his boss. Yeah, nice. Fantastic. And so then, yeah, changing the supporting the people, setting up the processes, setting up and improving the right systems. And what was the impact then? Was it as simple as, oh, and then their forecasts were you know, better or was it more transformation than that? What was the impact of that? It was it's one of those strange situations that a coal fired power station essentially produces a lot of energy very cheaply. Mm-hmm. If the station's broken, well, you can virtually afford to spend what you want to put it on back online because the amount of margin you're losing while it's offline is considerable. Sure. So there's always a culture on there of do whatever it takes to fix it. Problem is that if those costs aren't being flagged up as soon as they're apparent, then you get all sorts of problems. And this was essentially what was going wrong. The maintenance team were committing all sorts Mm. of maintenance spend that wasn't being flagged up as committed money in the system. Therefore, you know, whole load of purchase orders get placed on the system on literally the 31st of December for work that might have happened two months previous. Right, yeah. You can understand that, yeah, we had to do the work. Great, it had to be done. But look, you really need to tell us about the costs of this two months ago. So it could be factored into results. We could have released the appropriate budget to you. And there would have been no surprises. Right now, you've caused us a problem, folks. And it is simply lack of consistent process. Yeah, and and I can see how for a large organisation with a holding company and so on, it might be one of those things where it's like, well, it's in, in in the scheme of things, it's fine, there's cash and so on. But as you say, it creates a huge problem in terms of then what's reported to shareholders and what the impact that then has on stock price and so on, which then relates to for small business, if it was, let's say, a similar sort of problem, but in a smaller business, you could have a fundamental cash flow problem that suddenly surfaces that you weren't going to be, that you weren't aware of. And even though it's the right decision to spend the money, if you'd known in advance, you could actually do something about it. Whereas suddenly you can't and it's too late and the you know business can go under doing the right thing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I completely. Yeah, on uh, many occasions, Alexis. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And so, you know, these are some of the, essentially the challenges and the problems that, you know, yes, businesses bring in consultants to come and solve, but ultimately the expectation is often that the CFO the is across this kind of stuff and that they have visibility of these sorts of issues and that when problems like this happen, it's, for most businesses, it's kind of regrettable that they have to then pay, spend a lot of extra money to kind of bring in a consultant to do it, although it's the right decision in my experience when you've got the issue. But for a CFO, and particularly for a new CFO, there's so much that they've got to, to get on top of. And as you said earlier, the difference between a head of finance and a CFO is pretty vast in terms of expectation and responsibilities and skills that they need and so on. So looking at those challenges, you know, what are those key challenges that surface for a CFO, perhaps in their first quarter, and how might they go about tackling those effectively? Well, the first one that we're really aware affects just about everybody moving mm-hmm. to that level. It's probably two things. It's imposter syndrome and right. lack of confidence. Interesting. Okay. And 
actually, there's a lot of research that's looked right across the C-suite. And it's not just the finance person. It probably affects everybody. Some sort of feeling that, oh, I've got to the top table. I'm going to get found out. The other thing that I'd say is the lack of confidence. Think about the finance role in particular, Alexis. You've been head of finance. You've been, I'd say, the internal face of finance in the company. What have you been doing? You've been making sure all the finance processes and systems run properly. You've been in there reconciling the numbers. You've been producing the management reports. You've been talking to the managers across the business. You've been presenting the business results. Lots and lots of stuff like that. You step up to being CFO. You've probably got your number two as head of finance doing all that stuff that was your familiar territory. What are you doing instead? You are the external face of finance now. You're finance in that organization facing up to the shareholders the investors the rest of the c-suite you're being ideally co-pilot with the ceo that's a whole different set of challenges whole different set of relationships to manage and frankly nobody ever told you how to do that stuff when you passed your exams so that's where the lack of confidence comes in, because mm. you're you're kind of pulled out, unavoidably pulled out of your comfort zone overnight as you take the new role. Yeah, I can totally see that. As you say, I mean, imposter syndrome often happens anyway as people move up and, yeah, particularly, right. and particularly those big jumps. And so I, I, I completely agree. And then when you add that, as you say, the nature of that role does change significantly mm. in a way that perhaps doesn't in a in a same degree of some of the other C-level areas. You know, I'm thinking sort of engineering, for example, you move up and you become a manager of engineering and head of engineering and so on. Ultimately, your responsibility is still estimating how much can get done and highlighting some of the challenges and, you know, helping prioritize. Yeah. And at the, you know, chief engineering pers- person on that C-suite, you're kind of, it's an amplification of that role. But as you say, like, there's this whole set of skills around external communication that you've not had to build or use pretty much at any other point in your development in that role of through finance, which is really interesting. And I suspect one of the reasons why when I've worked with large organizations, some of the CFOs that I've met have not come through working their way up through finance. They've come across from you know, working at McKinsey, being some account, either a consultant or whatever, where they're used to perhaps some of those or coming from M and, you know, M&A activity or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, for what whoever we've got coming into our CFO role and in a you know large group organization, it's you know, it's talking to it's talking to the stock exchange, you know, the investors and all that kind of stuff. But even for a small business where you've got that CFO, as you say, it's strategizing and talking at the C-suite. What's the the top sort of advice, guidance that every new CFO needs to kind of kickstart their role successfully? Actually, if we look at Grow CFO and what we do about this. There's kind of two things. We we run the future CFO program. And actually, module nine of that, I run module nine, and it's about how to approach the first hundred days yep. in your new CFO role. 
the second thing we're doing about it is actually looking at working with those new CFOs and supplying mentors. And I think that's a vastly powerful thing. I mean, C-suite coaching is commonplace. I think most folk in the C-suite have a coach, but the finance leader, I think, should have a mentor whose background is having been a CFO or still being a CFO. Nice. We've got a mix of mentors, actually. Some have decided, no, I've had a, I've had enough of being a CFO. I really enjoy mentoring. That's what I'm going to do now. Okay. Others have been the big company CFO, have gone into almost a second career as a fractional CFO, where they're still doing a CFO role, maybe for one or two businesses, but on a very much part-time basis. And they're saying, I'll do some mentoring as well, because I quite like the variety. But those people have got so much knowledge to give across. It's not coaching, which is all about talking about the problem and almost getting the person that's being coached to come up with their own answer. Mentoring is, yeah, I had that problem once. We tried this. How about that? So you're helping develop the solution. You're sharing your experience. And I think that experience coming across the new CFO from the experienced one is pretty invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, love that. And so, so as you say, there's a big part of it is actually just making sure that they've got some form of mentoring to support them. Yes. Uh, which let's take you know if you take a business and typically if you take sort of small medium-sized business they will be thinking well you know particularly from hiring a fractional cfo or whatever into my organization i'm sort of expecting that they've either already got a mentor or if they've got those those experiences what is it on the business side that they need to make to provide to make it even possible for a new cfo to be successful because as we say there's for the cfo there's it's really important, useful for them to have the mentoring, the guidance so that they can get that support on and that you know ability to bounce ideas around. But from the business side, how can they set up that CFO for success other than, say, set them up with mentoring? I think you've, well, let's actually talk about the that 100-day process. Sure. Now, first thing, you've essentially got two different appointments. You've got the CFO who's taking the role as an internal promotion. Mm -hmm. conversely you've got the cfo who's taking the role as a new appointment yeah okay so first thing it the 100 days here kicks off on day one of your new job but there's a whole period before that where you've given your notice in or you've got the promotion okay yeah. what should you do at that point well the first thing that i think is vital is get rid of your old job right okay Biggest problem is when you when you take an internal promotion. And unless you actually get rid of your old job, people recognize you for doing certain things mm. in the business. They will always come to you for those things. Okay. Make sure you get in there and get your replacement appointed. Hand over and make sure that the rest of the business know that it's not you anymore doing that. Nice. It's the new person. To give yourself space to get in and start working on your new job. Equally important when you're going as a promotion, as, a, as an external appointment, get rid of your old job. Be proactive in helping you, your employer recruit your replacement because you want to start thinking about your new job. You want to start doing research, 
you possibly want to start meeting people in the new organizations. There's no rules that say you cannot talk to your new employer before day one. Yeah. Why not? Why not go for dinner with the CEO? <laughs> Why not try and have a coffee with somebody in your new team? No, there's not no rules that say you can't. Indeed. So free up time. Second challenge is we know how things are done around here if you're going by promotion. You kind of know who the key players are, you know the culture, you know how things work. That can blinker you. So first words of advice were look at what other people in your industry are doing look at other ways of doing things is the way your organization doing things at the moment necessarily the best have you to some extent been brainwashed into this is the way things are done flip side if you're a new appointee you don't know the culture at all you don't know who the movers and shakers are and i would counsel any business bringing in a new cfo to essentially try and give them an unofficial mentor. Mm -hmm. yep. Not the mentor in the sense that I just described before, but somebody in your organization who knows the ropes, knows how things are done, can introduce the new person, whether, and I think this applies to any senior appointment, yep. can introduce that person to the people that can make things happen, can, can show them how to navigate the systems, the way things are done because that new person will initially be lost they want to do stuff mm. but may well just not be by not knowing the organization not fall flat on their face when they try and do certain things i suppose that's as well the first 10 days month if you're in a new role well that's the point you can ask the silly questions yeah nobody's gonna nobody's gonna laugh at you if you ask the wrong thing do the wrong thing you know you've always got that excuse i'm new around here sorry i didn't know <laughs> so don't be frightened to get things wrong in the first few days but you land on day one and i'd split up that first hundred days into four chunks as the first 10 days which is all about in induction yeah. meeting people meeting the team and I'd say approach that and say, here are the things that I'd like my induction to cover. The new employer may well have laid on an induction for you. That might not tick, up all, tick off all the boxes on your list. Don't just settle for the induction you've been given. Make sure you find some ways of doing everything that's on your list. Nice. And what are some of the things that you'd expect to see in there? I mean, you've listed some of the things in terms of who you'd expect to meet and, and having some kind of buddy or sort of an official mentor that can help you navigate, uh, sort of the, navigate the organization. What else in terms of things that you'd expect them to need to know, you know, or find out and or understand what are the things that you like is, for example, if I'm bringing in the CFO, what are the things that should be on my onboarding checklist to them? I would be, first of all, I'd be making sure that your new CFO has at least an hour in the diary, in the first 10 days with every other senior person in the business. Nice. Just yep. to go have a chat, find out what they do, what their issues are. Second thing, I want to make sure that they have good training in how your IT systems work. The basics of how do I raise a purchase order? How do I put an expense claim in? All of that kind of thing has to, those are the sort of housekeeping bits of induction. And so sort of key finance processes, like how is that managed through the business? 
What's yeah. the systems that used to do that? How's that done? Yeah. yeah. And there's probably something around well, how do we approach our customers? Mm, something nice. that's more in-depth about your products that you mm. well, it would be different than what somebody could learn about them outside of your business. Okay, you've learned a certain amount during the cool. recruitment process, but you know, once somebody's landed. Other thing that I'd always put in that, first 10 days i'd be saying to the new cfo go confirm your mandate right so that should be in your induction process as well mm-hmm. alexis that as the business founder business owner you should be making sure when somebody lands that their remit is mm-hmm. absolutely clear yeah you can talk about things during the recruitment process you can give impressions about things that they're going to be responsible for things you want them to do but you possibly haven't i think every cfo tends to come in to be expected to fix something you may have talked about fixing several things during the recruitment process but you've probably never put any priorities around them yeah, you need to give that clarity on yeah the give order of priority and what's actually expected. What's nice. expected? Yeah, I think sorting that out in the first ten days is really important. Obviously, the new person's meeting their team for the first time, and I'd say to the CFO, be try as soon as possible to really engage your number two, and find out as much as possible. Yeah, is your number two? really pissed off now because they applied for your job and didn't yeah, get it. Quite possible, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need to address that. It may not be an issue, but in a lot of cases, I think it would be. So how are you going to deal with that person? Are you going to help them find a new role somewhere else? Are you going to re-engage them in your business, make sure they feel wanted and helped and needed? That's a key decision. But uh, moving on, that's we talked about the first 10 days, another 90 to go. And I kind of split that into three bits. Yeah. There's, and they're roughly 30 days each, but they'll overlap. So I'd give yourself to milestones. Milestone one is I understand what's going on here. I've done some fact finding. I understand the business. I understand my team. And I've got a fair idea of where the problems are. Nice. Okay. Next 30 days, I think, is all about blueprinting. What do I want things to look like? Combination of where's the business going? Where do I want the finance team to go? Now, if the business has got huge growth plans, you'd be factoring in and saying, okay, given that we 2x, 5x, 10x this business, what does finance need to look like as a result of that? Are we moving from a single currency situation to trading internationally, mm. needing multi multi currency systems? How many people are we going to be employing? What are we going to have to deal with as finance? Yeah. And I'd be saying, well, what have I got at the moment? What do I need? Which could be more people, could be mm. different people. Have I got the right skills in the team? Yeah. Do I need to change? Not necessarily new people, but do I need to retrain or help other people in the team develop their careers into some of these potential new roles that are coming along? And I'd say at the end of the milestone, at the end of that, is that you go along to the C-suite and you say, this is my vision for finance going forward. Yeah. The interesting thing here is that in induction, you 
confirmed your remit, or hopefully confirmed your remit. Now we've put a blueprint together, which was based on that remit and based on the things that you found out, fact-finding, things that your team have told you about. So this adds up to a sum of money, probably, and a timetable. Now, you find, soon find out if your remit is really the remit that you are told as you put that to the C-suite, because this is when it becomes real. Are they going to back you with the appropriate resources when you need them? So key milestone at the end of phase two is agreement with the rest of the C-suite that this is the blueprint for finance going forward to match their strategic vision of business. So takes us into phase three, which is really all about then communicating the agreed vision to your team and to the rest of the business and starting the ball rolling. This is where you start putting the proper plan together for what you're going to do. It means you probably need project team or certain individuals in your team that you're going to give extra responsibilities to. Putting your finance system in, well, you're not going to do that all by yourself. What's the head of finance going to do? Well, how do you want them to be involved? How do you want the junior people to be involved in the design of the system? Yeah, so really that phase is communicating to the rest of the team, getting them on board, taking people on a journey. And that's another place the skills of the CFO are really going to be tried because you know, head of finance, you're just doing stuff. You're doing the same sorts of things day in, day out, week in, week out. Here, you've got to take your people on a journey. You've got to convince them it's a way forward. And suddenly you're a change manager as much as anything. And you know, if you're going to start changing the finance system, people in your team are going to be affected. People to look out for, there'll be people that are the absolute masters, gurus, whatever, of the old system and the way it works and how to make it do stuff. My experience is a lot of those people possibly aren't particularly senior individuals, but have a whole lot of status around them because they're the go-to person thing. You take that system away. You're going to completely de-franchise those individuals. So what he or she going to do in the future? How are you going to get them on board with what you want to do? There's going to be those people in the organization that say, we tried that before, that work around here. You know, the typical person who might have a lot of respect in the organization might be the naysayer. How are you going to get those people on board with what you want to do? So there's going into that phase three, you've got to understand all of those dynamics. How are you going to play those out? And that's a whole new set of challenges. Probably. So you, you can kind of see all that those phases are coming into the business, how things are going to play out, how you're going to feel possibly outside your comfort zone all the time. Possibly have this lack of confidence. Are you going to take this forward? Because you might be doing some of these things for the first time. And probably at this stage, you're starting to realize, well, this is what a mentor could do for me. Yeah. And I'd say to the business, you know, give your CFO as much support as you possibly can. 
you've hired your CFO for their finance skills. He or she might not be the, the A, A lead communicator. So make sure you've got somebody from HR, marketing, public relations, whatever, working with them to help craft the comms messages, to help bring people along on the journey. We've got in GrowCFR the CFO competency framework. We've identified nine competencies that a CFO can have. So we've defined five skills in each competency, 45 skills altogether. Our experience is that a CFO cannot master all 45. That's yeah. Ever, ever going to master all 45. They're going to be strong in some, weak in others. They're going to look at the ones that they're weaker in to work out what their own personal development needs are going forward. But they can also use that framework to say, well, I'm never going to be any good at that one. How do I get myself the help around me to be able to, to combat that shortfall, that weakness? If I do my competency framework, you look at fundraising, mergers, and acquisitions. I score about nil on that in that competency framework because I've never, ever been exposed to a fundraiser in my life. And that's not uncommon for a new CFO. So the rest of the business should be fairly open with the CFO, understand the skills that they've got and the skills that they've not got. Don't expect because you have hired a CFO that they are the master with an A grade in every single thing that a CFO could potentially be doing. That person does not exist. So you know, from the business point of view, support them. Recognize that they're going through this phase that may well be taken right outside their comfort zone. If your CFO wants a mentor, be there and be prepared to back them and make sure you finance it, you support them that way. So lots and lots of things you can do to de-stress the CFO, de-stress new appointee. And I think right across the C-suite, you know, he or she in the new role is not going to be the finished article. What are you going to do to support all of those weaknesses? Recognize they're going to be there. Recognize they're on the journey. Yeah, nice. And I can see how that, as you say, the business can support all of that. It can support it in terms of accepting that they're not going to, they're going to have some gaps and support them in terms of helping them to deliver what they're going to do. But I suspect also earlier on in that induction, supporting that CFO by being very open around what are the possible outcomes or plans that they would propose or that they think are possible. So for example, I can imagine the CFO sitting down with that, the marketing director or sales marketing director and saying, okay, what does the, what's the potential growth here? What's the plan here? And I think that person being able to say, well, based on what's been happening so far, if we didn't change much, then this is where we're going to end up. So if you wanted it, the purpose of budgeting over the last, over the next six to 12 months, this is where I think it's going to end up. Here's some of the risks to that. Here's how much that might vary. However, if we had certain resources and so on, or we could remove various limits, this is what I think that we could potentially achieve. But here's some of the things that currently mean that's not possible. And I think that's a conversation that either the business can support by being proactive in that, 
or as CFO, you can elicit and try and get that discussion. Because that's one of the things I see in businesses and that causes a lot of stress is the balance and the difference between realistic, highly predictable, if everything is as it is today, what's likely to happen tomorrow, which is often what you kind of need for budgets and forecasting and going, okay, this is what this looks like. But then the problem is that the the risk is that your business doesn't take a risk and it doesn't reinvest and it doesn't do the things that mean it can achieve more. And as a result, you want to have that conversation about amazing things that you could maybe achieve, but without being nailed down to them, because that's the whole point. You know, if the market says a marketing and say, well, I think theoretically we could be tripling our revenue over the next two years. But if that's then like, oh, great. So you say you're going to triple the revenue. Okay. Well, that's what you're going to manage to. That's, the, you know, it makes it difficult for them to have that conversation. So I can totally see how going through that journey. Yeah. That the importance of that induction, creating the relationships, the importance of that next 30 days, helping to get real understanding of what's actually going on and what's possible and so on. And then coming up with that blueprint, you took us then into the next 30 days of that, that notice day plan, where it's then about putting together the team and implementing and so on. beyond that, because they, they were kind of, it's quite a project basis and so on. beyond that, what would you see as the kind of week to week responsibilities of a of that CFO in terms of what do they expect to do? Because, you know, some things that we haven't then touched on at that point is the external communication march and so on. What would you say are some of the, those responsibilities you'd expect them to do? It's a varied job. Sure. Where are you in the growth cycle? Nice. A lot of the companies that we're dealing with are fast growing tech companies. So. You would possibly be looking at, are we going through a series A or a series B fundraise? And you'd find that the CFO has to play a very big part in that exercise. You may be saying, hang on a minute, we are the fast growing tech company, but we've got VC investors here. The VC investors are in here to get their money back plus a lot more. Therefore there's an exit. Well, what should we be doing here? We. Again, some of this is in project mode because there are a lot of mini projects taking place. What do we have to do to exit the business? And actually, we've just put together a template as part of our business premium package that would help a CFO go through the three years leading up to an exit. And what do you have to make sure has happened three years out, two years out, one year out from that trade sale? IPO, management buyout, whatever that final commercial event might be, right through the last stage of how do I plan due diligence? So they're going th- you're almost in, in project mode all of the time. I think, yes, the CFO will be in a regular drumbeat of board meetings, giving the appropriate updates to the board. But I think that's a very minor part of the CFO role. The CFO is more around what's going on in the business right now as a part of our journey to wherever we want to be. What support do I now need to give to that? It's not about just giving the board the P&L account every month. No, indeed. It's about supporting the rest of the C-suite in what they need at this stage in the growth plan the exit journey or whatever it be. 
Yeah, nice. That's awesome. And one of the challenges that I see for leaders generally, and I think that CFOs probably get it more than most, is the is when you're when they're having that, those conversations with the other leaders. I think when you're a new leader, there is an expectation that particularly as you're learning at that point that you're not going to put the brakes on too much right like you know if you're day one in the organization and head of sales says so i'm really excited about our you know growth in our sales team and so on if the cfo on day one says no you're not hiring anyone i'm pulling all of those that would be highly unusual a bit weird at a problematic start consulting days i'm a great believer in the theory of constraints We've got all of these bullish forecasts from the salespeople, the marketing people, so on. Okay. Supposing we go down that journey, where do we next hit a constraint in this business that's going to stop us? Sales can be saying, fine, we're going to triple sales in the next three years. Okay. That's great in theory, but there will be something at some point that stops you tripling sales. Either. You don't have production capacity if you manufacture it. You don't have the infrastructure in some way if you're in your own business. There are going to be points in the journey that you're going to hit a constraint. And putting the strategy together, putting the budgets together, putting plans together is knowing where those constraints are and having the projects and for project and finance team language read budgets yeah to sort the constraint what i'm wondering is over time there will be a point at which as cfo you've got to say no to people you've got to say no as a, as a leader and as a new leader can you share perhaps an example an anecdote strategy about kind of dealing with that pressure to, to say yes. actually we've got a business partnering bootcamp where we're dealing with recommendations and so on people will come to you with proposals there'll often be a sound reason for why you want to do something but the way that they're asking for it you might have to say no to because it's not affordable or something like that classically or indeed as the finance person you might be going to them and saying we have to do x because now, if you're saying we have to do X, they've got an answer. Of, they've got an option of saying yes or no. Okay. If this is rephrased and this works both ways, we've got a problem. We've got to do something about it. We could do A, B, or C. Then you've taken no off the table and forced people to think about what the three options are for solving the problem. Likewise, somebody comes to you and says, I want to spend £100,000 on this. And you're forced as the CFO to say, no, we can't afford £100,000. You can start saying, well, okay, I recognize you've got a problem. Recognize you need to do something about it. Is that the only way we can do it? What are the options? What are the options? Nice. Yeah. Take the yes, no decision. Take away. The finance is always a blocker, always says no to, well, actually, no, finance is supporting the business here to come up with some creative solutions. Yeah, I really like that. And I think, as you say, it avoids that 
killing the reputation of a finance function or head of, uh, or CFO as being, yeah, you know, I turn up, they say, no, what's the point? And mm. instead it's, let's have a conversation in terms of what are some of the solutions. And, and I suppose also around, it's probably as useful for that CFO to not only ask what are other solutions that maybe don't cost as much, but also what are other ways in which we can increase the upside potential here? Because that's one of the things I often see is, you know, we're working with sales or marketing leads or heads, directors, is that they'll come with what they think they might get approval for. And maybe it's, oh, well, I think we can increase our revenue by 20% if I could get this investment in this beyond what I've currently got in my budget. But actually, if, um, if they're encouraged to say, well, okay, I can see that plan. And I can see there's an okay ROI though. It's a lot of money up front and we, with unknown return. What could we do that's even bigger than that? Could we increase the upside potential of that? I think it's a really interesting discussion because it's often not where, where the thinking has been spent, right? It's been spent on how can I reduce the cost as much as possible to get this approved. And so I, I think that's really powerful. Yes. Actually having, I believe that the CFO should be the facilitator of a solution. Absolutely. The no said the CFO's job is to effectively be creative. He or she should be challenging, making people think around the problem, bring as many other ideas onto the table as possible. Not simply be a review body that says, no. Don't believe your numbers. Sorry, you can't have this. Can't afford it. Yeah. And so, uh, and of course it varies, like the types of decisions that are being made vary based on the organization and so on. I mean, you've experienced both sides. How do you compare like the pressures for new CFOs in small versus large organizations? Is there a universal set of stresses that is regardless of size? Does that vary? What's been your experience? I, they're different, certainly, but I think many of the problems are the same. And I'll tell you what I see happening in small organizations quite a lot though, Alex, is that probably makes the finance role different. In the big organization, you've got all sorts of teams and departments doing all sorts of stuff. Small organization, you might have, let's assume you're manufacturing something. So you'll have a production team, you might have a distribution team, you'll have a sales and marketing team, you'll have a finance team, you might even have a small HR team, but it's not unusual for the finance lead also to be sorting out the IT, Yeah, may also be sorting out the legal, may also be responsible for procurement. Actually, in a lot of public sector organizations that I've worked in, the CFO rather than being sort of finance director is named director of resources because all of those extra things, directing resources, not just money. So in a small organization where, as you said, you mean, wouldn't necessarily have lots of people to be able to fulfill all these different roles in IT and finance and HR and so on. What are the kinds of stresses and challenges that you kind of see there? What's the biggest, you know, we talked earlier about when entering the new role, you've got you know, imposter syndrome and confidence and so on, but an ongoing basis, what is it that you see those leaders of finance time? They have so much to do. Yeah. 
quite often the finance leader that we're dealing with as well is at that age that they're they're trying to propel a career to the next level. And they're also probably trying to deal with a young family, balance all those things together. So I actually think time and balance between family and work are probably the biggest other stresses that I'd talk about other than those big kind of changes from imposter syndrome, lack of confidence, suddenly having a very different role. Yeah, it's definitely time pressure. Not helped by the fact that the finance lead ends up picking so much stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's interesting because, you know, particularly on the Airmanual side, like we do so much with business leaders, typically CEO, CEO, business owners are often a lot of our customers where we're helping them free up their time. But it's interesting, as you say, I'm thinking of, of the other C-suite members, often for the, our customers that are finance leaders, for them, it is getting stuff off their plate. It's getting the, yeah, delegating finance activities down in the rest of the process or removing firefighting, right? Like making oh, sure yeah, definitely, definitely. so that, and in fact, uh, run a workshop for your group, right, Kevin, on you know, how do you make it so that this stuff is smooth and that you don't have finance processes that are creating problems and that you're able to do month and quickly and all these sorts of things. That, that Alexis, is a very big problem in the smaller organization yeah. because you just do stuff. It's in people's heads. You get on with month end, you, but v- very few companies, even if they've got a process and they've even got a pretty slick process. Is it written down anywhere? Probably not. So you do get that stress coming along that a key member of the team leaves. Yeah. The CFO, head of finance has gone off sick and it's day five at month end. You've got an investor yelling at you for the latest set of business results. You've suddenly got to parachute yourself in as head of finance. Oh, head of finance, since you did the job has introduced something new in the process. It's not written down anywhere. You know that you need some numbers, but you haven't got a clue where she's been normally getting those numbers from. Yeah, yeah no, I, yeah, I, I see that stress. And particularly if it's in the context of that CFO is working on the bigger plan, right? Like yeah. they're currently going through fundraising or whatever. <laughs> and so yeah. got to take, put up their sleeves. And, particularly yeah. if the business is running, is growing. You know, you need that new finance system because it doesn't handle things quite right. But in the meantime, you've put in all these horrendous workarounds to make the system do what it's not supposed to do. Yeah. So I, I love that because I can completely see how those stresses, that lack of time, the dealing with the firefighting, particularly when you've got team members that leave and when as CFO, you might be responsible for raising finances and all these things like happening all at the same time. And month end, of course, like it could be hugely painful. So I see that like going forward for the future of the finance role, like how do you envision the role of CFO perhaps evolving in the next few years? What do you see changing? The two big things that have been with us are AI and automation. So I would see in the not very distant future, a lot of the routine manual jobs disappearing. And that's a plus because it means that the finance team should be more about advising, helping, supporting, analyzing, but 
there are some very clever things coming along in the world of AI. Yeah. One of the biggest pains in finance is reconciling stuff, spotting mistakes, getting things corrected. Now, there are some fantastic AI solutions that can pattern spot, can look for things that are potentially wrong, can highlight things that you might spend hours finding mm. or review and say, this invoice doesn't look right. Check it. Nice. So, and I think it will become much easier to get accurate financial numbers. There are some huge developments going on in AI as well in the FPNA field, analyzing data, making interpretation of numbers, forecasting, so on. Lots of things that we can use there. So I think we're coming into a really exciting world where the routine goes out of the window because it all just happens. It's automatic. And we've got some very clever tech giving us a lot of new insight that we can use to work with the business. Love it. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, in fact, I believe I'm going to be speaking to uh, to your grow CFO group in a couple of months' time or something to uh, to talk about some, uh, and run a workshop on yeah, leveraging AI. Yeah, which yeah, indeed, me too. Fantastic. Well, it's been so great talking to you, Kevin. For people that would like to learn more about you and grow CFO and so on, because I'm confident that for particularly for people going into CFO roles, interested in CFO roles, or if, yeah, you know, want to support their CFO, that they'll be interested in some learning more about some of the services that you offer. So what's the best way in which they can do that? Best way to do that is going across the website, www.growcfo.net. If there's something specific that you want to talk to us about, or a lot of things on there, there are inquiry forms to fill in, but if there's something you want to talk to us about, fill in a support ticket, we'll get back to you. A decent conversation. Fantastic. Excellent. And of course, I'd highly recommend Kevin's podcast. We'll make sure that we've got all of the links in the show notes. But otherwise, Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. Thoroughly enjoyed it, Alexis. Thank you for having me as a guest. There's a few resources that I want to highlight for people who have been listening to this particular episode. In addition to the fantastic links that Kevin shared, his podcast and so on, you might also, if you're particularly if you're listening to this and perhaps you're responsible for finance in your business, is to check out our ebook on improving cash flow using processes. It even includes a list of some of the processes and what should be in them when it comes to making sure that you've got the finance processes in your business around cash flow to keep on top of it. And you can find that at airmanual.link forward slash cash flow or one word forward slash ebook. The other thing I'd recommend is our AMA, our Ask Me Anything session that we ran on cash flow, which you can find at airmanual.link forward slash cash flow forward slash webinar. Also, there's another thing that I think for a lot of you listening, particularly as Kevin said earlier, one of the things is that's really challenging for finance leaders is time. It's how do you free up that time? How do you make that space so that you can focus on the biggest wins and the most important things? And as a result, if that's a challenge for you right now, I highly recommend joining our weekly webinar on how to free up 15 hours per week and remove the constant stress of running the business whilst also unlocking growth. The feedback that we get from those sessions is fantastic with attendees taking away a fundamentally better approach to delegating, onboarding, and managing their teams. So you can find out more and register for the next one at airmanual.link 
forward slash webinar. Finally, if you found today's episode useful, and I'm sure you did, now you could just subscribe and listen to other episodes, which is great, but I'd love it if you could also let us know that you got some value. Share it on social media, tag myself and Kevin in, let us know your favorite key takeaway. Whatever feels right, we'd hugely appreciate it. Otherwise, until next time, have fun.